to me, what it what it really means is understanding that a pen test or, or hacking in general is not supposed to be given to you. There are many enterprises in this world that are hard. Programming is hard. But one of the things that's unique about hacking, you are going up against other smart, motivated, reasonable people who are trying to stop you. I wanted to work in AI safety, particularly in you know how how do you how do you stop a general artificial intelligence from taking over the world inadvertently? I'm David Bumble. Wish you all the very best. Hey everyone, it's David Bumble back with a very special guest, Jeremy. Welcome. Hello, David. Thanks for having me. Great to have you here. So, just so that the audience knows, who are you, and what's the exciting topic that we're going to be talking about today? Sure. My name is Jeremy Miller. I go by Harbinger as well online. And uh, we're going to be talking about offsets or offensive securities, new update to the penetration testing with Kali Linux course. I'm really glad that we're talking about this because a lot of people who watch my channel are really interested in this and you know want to get into penetration testing and or pen testing. And OSCP is obviously the cert that we often, or the, all the experts that I interview often recommend as you know, the way to get started. So give us an update. I believe the course changed, the exam changed, is it about a year ago or so? And then the course has recently changed, right? Yeah, we changed the exam, yeah, I think about a year ago, but we just recently changed the course, updated the course. No changes to the exam there, uh, just the course material itself. So where to start? Uh, PWK, penetration with te penetration testing with Kali Linux, it's always difficult to say, yeah. uh, or Pen200 is a um, penetration testing course. So we teach students how to go about learning pen testing from start to finish. One of the things that we did with this major update is increased the, or decreased rather, the learning curve. So it used to be the case that someone would start and they'd sort of have to jump in really, really fast. The structure of the course was such that we just threw the student into, into the environment with very little on-ramp. What we've done now is we've created a system that lets the student really start at their level and slowly uh, acclimate to the demands of pen testing. We do that through different learning modalities. Um, we're very, very intentional about the ways that we expect or want students to learn. One of those modalities is just text, right? So we have an online portal where the student or the learner can uh, review the text, uh, watch exactly what is done by the instructor, by us, but then they can copy exactly what we do on their own VMs. So we assign them uh, unique private VMs they can take those and execute exactly what's shown in the course. Once the learner has a handle on that, then we give them a slightly different VM. But now let's say they were doing some kind of um, uh, enumeration. Enumeration means information gathering on a network. Let's say they're doing that and they're following exactly the steps that we provide. Now we'll give them a slightly different environment. So now they need to apply what they've learned. They can't just copy exactly what we've shown them, but they also don't need to do something radically different. Somewhere in the middle, is, is where they're gonna be successful. After they've done that, they feel comfortable with that, they've uh, done the learning, they've done the applying, now they're gonna have an exercise that's gonna require them to think a little bit deeper. Uh, we call them capstone exercises, and they require the students to apply everything that's been learned in that particular module. Um, so now they have to kind of reason under uncertainty. They know at a high level what the thing they need to do is about, but they don't know exactly what they need to do. And so that increase of uncertainty as the learner continues, is almost a mirror of what we see in penetration testing. Pen testing is an exercise in uh, reasoning under uncertainty. You don't know everything there is to know about the target environment, the network, the machine, whatever it is. Because if you did, then there wouldn't be any hacking to do. You would just you would just know all the credentials and log in, right? Um, so that's one of the major major changes we made. Yeah, I heard you say in previous talks about this that um, if you knew the commands like in a lot of your labs, it would be like six commands and you'd be in. Yeah. So the, uh, you like 
start with a bit of knowledge and then you like, sorry, you, you, you make it easy and then you like introduce more and more of this uncertainty, right? Yeah, I mean, most computers in an enterprise environment that are vulnerable, right? So like assuming that there's some vulnerability in the first place, um, it's not going to take so much code to break into them. Yes, there are there are some where you need to write you know, custom scripts of 200, 300, 400 lines. Definitely those exist. But for, at the PWK level, at this level, most of the machines require only a few commands. The exercise is not typing the commands, but figuring out what it is you need to type in the first place. That takes 99.9% .9 of the time. So in the beginning, it's very certain, like I just follow along, I read the text, yep. um, watch some yep. videos. That's like very sequential, easy to you know to, to grasp if you like, or follow along. And then you give me labs that I, I kind of like um, ha handheld if you like, but then yep. like it gets worse and worse where it's like now, now I'm more and more on my own, right? I'll just say it gets better and better. <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the the um, the previous way of doing it was we would we would show you that what you need to do, and then we would give you something radically different and throw you in there and say go. That's effective. It's very effective because the the skill that learners need to embrace is like how do I deal with this uncomfortable uncertainty? And so we still want to keep that, but we want to get the learner to there without kind of launching them there right away. I love that because I mean, some of the criticism out there in the past is like the whole try harder mentality. People have, you know, said this is, you know, it doesn't help to tell me to try harder if I'm bashing my head against the, a wall. Um, so yeah. what would you say to that? And how is this different to like perhaps the past? I think the term try harder has been kind of misappropriated by the community. Um, and it's, it's, it's our fault for that. We haven't done a uh, exceptional job in kind of explaining what we mean uh, when we when we have used that in the past. Um, number one is we, I mean, at least at least since I've been at Offsec, I've been at Offsec for seven years now. Uh, I started as a student mentor, so the folks that are directly interacting with learners, and the first thing they told us is never say try harder. Like I've never <laughs> said that in my life to to a student, and certainly no one has heard that from Offsec in the past in the past seven years directly. To me, what it what it really means is understanding that a pen test or, or hacking in general is not supposed to be given to you. And by that, I mean, there are many enterprises in this world that are hard. Programming is hard. Building a skyscraper is hard. Learning quantum physics is hard. There are so many hard things. But one of the things that's unique about hacking or security, just I mean, even defensive security, you are going up against other smart, motivated, reasonable people who are trying to stop you. And I don't think people necessarily appreciate that as much as they should. Yes, in a lab environment, the machines that we've created are there to be hacked. And so you kind of know ahead of time what the game is. Even there, our, our developers have put in all sorts of uh, mitigations and, and tricks in place to, to try to keep you out. And so if we're trying to keep you out, it requires a certain level of engagement that says, hey, I know I'm not supposed to be doing this. I know that something, somebody smart is trying to stop me from doing that. Let me recognize that and realize that in order to beat that, I do have to try harder in the sense that they don't want me to get in. That realization, I think, makes people relax a little bit more and realize that, hey, it's not just, it's not I'm bad at this. It's not that I can't do this. It's that I have to, I have to contend with the fact that throughout my career as a penetration tester, people are going to be increasingly better at trying to stop me. So trying harder is not about just do more things on the machine. It's realize that there are, there's a whole fleet of people in the world that's trying to stop you from doing what it is that you're supposed to be doing. And your job is to is to engage with that on an emotional and technical level. 
I love that. I mean, that's a great explanation. I also think some of the criticisms more experienced people would have of, of beginners is like, don't let me spoon feed you the whole time. At some point, you've got to go out on yeah. your own. You've got to research. You've got to do it yourself. And there's a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff you learn just by fighting um, by yourself. Yeah, yeah, 100%. You will learn something just by you know, you're, you as the professor are telling me, hey, uh, it's this command and I, I follow it and I, I internalize that. That's a perfectly valid way of learning. But if I only do that, I won't learn how to deal with not knowing. In the real world, there would be many cases where I don't know because why, like I'm on an engagement that the, the client's not going to suddenly tell me what to do. They don't know either. At some point, we need to learn how to deal with that. I think one criticism we, or an implied criticism is um, something like, why don't you just teach me all the things that I need to know first, and then I'll worry about that other stuff later. But it goes hand in hand, even from the very beginning, even at our like hundred level content, we want learners to start to butt up against that feeling right away because that's going to be with them for their entire career, whether whether it's because of us or because of an actual professional engagement. Like this, this is this is the reality. It's going to happen. I love that. I mean, you're not teaching them just like, here's a theory. And I, I won't mention any names, but like there are, there are places out there, perhaps they were just like, yeah, this is how you pass the exam. And then they kick you out the door and you're yep. on your own. Um, I love that you're preparing people for a real pen test. Yeah, the way that we look at it is there's two levels of learning. There's the there's the object level, the technology. How do you write a bash script? How do you log on to SMNP? How do you uh, exploit SQL injection? I'm just pull, pulling things off the top of my head. Those are what I call object level learnings in that they are they are technical and they are ephemeral. They might change tomorrow. The technology at some point, maybe we won't be using SQL at all. Maybe, I don't know, maybe we'll have new ways of, of sending emails that don't rely on current technology. Who knows? Those things are very important to learn in the moment for a pen tester because that's the technology that they engage with every single day. But the second order learning, the additional learning that we can't just sort of say is how do you learn the first thing in the first place? How do you how do you approach these different object level technologies? How do you assimilate it? How do you organize your your thoughts on an engagement? How do you deal with your own emotions on an engagement? All that kind of stuff only can happen through osmosis in the sense that we can't just say, oh, you know, think this way and feel this way. It has to be it has to be experienced. So we try to teach the second order stuff through the object level learnings. That's great. I mean, I've got a bunch of questions. One of them is like you mentioned hundred courses. Is are there any yes. prerequisites for doing this course and going for the OSCP or you know, what what are the prerequisites? I know you've one of the updates you said is you've moved stuff out of the course. So I, I'm giving you a whole bunch of stuff, but let's start with like prerequisite knowledge, courses that I need to do before this, or can I just go straight to this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good good line of questioning. So PWK is a penetration testing course. And penetration testing itself is not an introductory sort of start of the field, start of IT, start of security. For us, what we've always sort of defined as the prerequisites are three things. Um, number one, you got to know a little bit of scripting. You don't need to be a master programmer. You don't need to write, uh, you know, a 500 page application, but being able to write a small website, uh, put in, you know, an authentic authentication mechanism, something like that, something small. Number two, uh, maybe the most important of the three, I don't know why it's in the middle here, uh, is administration, system administration, particularly on Linux. I think a lot of people come from a Windows background, and so they encounter the Linux command line and are just kind of flummoxed by it. That is the thing that I think people will most get value from, because it also sort of leads to this very good understanding of what a computer does on the back end. The third item, I would say, is 
uh, networking, understand how computers can talk to each other, understand basic protocols, HTTP, SSH. I, I like to say have a non-magic understanding of how computers talk. Yeah. Like if you understand that, you don't need to know the specifics, but if you understand that there are these things called packets and they get transmitted through a wire or wirelessly and a computer can send and receive them and unpack them and they get encapsulated, these kind of things, if you understand why that happens, then you're on a good path. So at Offsec, we have these 100 level learning paths uh, called PEN 100, uh, SOC 100, Web 100. These lead to the respective 200 level courses and they contain these prerequisites. So for PWK, it's, it's these three things, but then... How do, how do you mix them up? How do you combine networking and scripting? So we have a module on network scripting. Uh, we have a module on Linux networking tools, right? So combining these three things and all the different permutations that they can be combined, there are modules on troubleshooting and on web applications and cryptography, just sort of the prerequisite knowledge that you need before you can even think about, okay, how do I attack things? In the past, um, PWK contained some of those prerequisites itself. In order to add more to the to the actual value of the course, the penetration testing part, we took some of that prerequisite stuff out and put it in Pen 100. That's great, because I mean, I was looking at, you've got this great um, map, which we'll put on screen now, where you show, sorry, this, this diagram where you show like stuff that was taken out and stuff that was added. So like I see bash scripting as an example, um, like command line fun was, that's been put in the Pen 100, right? Yeah, not we haven't copied like the exact modules and put them in, but that material is is already in there. Yeah. So basically, if I'm new, and I want to, it's YouTube. So no offense to everyone watching, but I get a lot of comments like, "I want to be a pen tester. I want to do OCP tomorrow." It's like, okay, um, do you meet those prerequisites? So if I'm brand new, I could go and take those prerequisite courses and then see how I'm doing, and then take this right, or do I need to do anything else? Yeah, I mean, the, the cool thing about Pen 100 and the, the other 100 levels is that they have an assessment at the end. It's not an exam. It's not it's not proctored. It's very short, six hours. You go in, you do some exercises, and that gives you a personal sense of, hey, do I feel ready or not? And if not, which areas do I need more focus on? At the end of the assessment, we give you like this little spider graph that tells you, oh, you're you're doing really well in networking, but your scripting needs some work. I do want to say that the, the 100 level material if you've never touched a computer in your life, then you're gonna you're gonna struggle with it, right? It's when we say beginner, we don't mean somebody who's never ever ever typed a command at a command line, um, but somebody with like a little bit of hobbyist experience. Again, a, a non magical understanding of the computer. So, Jeremy, I think this is a great time to talk a bit about your background because you didn't take sort of the traditional path to because you got your OSCP a few years ago, right? Yes, uh, 2015. So just for like, I, I love inspirational stuff because a lot of people who watch these videos, um, a lot of you out there tell me, David, I'm 25. Is it too late for me? <laughs> or is it, I'm 35. <laughs> I'm 35, is it too late for me? Or I'm 45 or whatever, is it too late for me? And David, I'm a truck driver or I'm, I'm working in McDonald's or something. You know, is there any hope for me? So please share your story just to, you know, inspire people who are watching. Uh, we, we assume it'll be inspirational. So, oh, it is. so I thank it. you for I've that. It. But, Go uh, for it, yeah. I didn't start in, in tech. I didn't start in security at all. I wanted to be a lawyer and um, studied philosophy because I wanted to learn how to argue, how to think. And uh, philosophy was very, very good for that. After some self-discovery and exploration, I decided I didn't, in fact, want to become a lawyer. What does one do with a philosophy degree? I'm good at thinking and arguing, but that doesn't uh, necessarily lead anywhere. But I was really, really interested in logic computational logic, uh, which which led to sort of self-reference and artificial intelligence, which is very in vogue today. And I wanted to go into AI. And kind of ironically for, for the day, I wanted to work in AI safety, particularly in 
you know, how, how do you, how do you stop a general artificial intelligence from taking over the world inadvertently? You were too, you're too early because um, that's everything today. Isn't yeah, it? exactly. Well, <laughs> I, I, I went to go um, intern for uh, an institute that does exactly that. Brilliant, brilliant people there. And I said, Hey, like, this is where I am in my life. I, I studied philosophy and I know a little bit of logic and I want to go into AI. And they said, well, you have a ton of catch up to do in math. Like you, you need to have almost a PhD in math. Uh, so go back and, and do your, do your bachelor's in math, do your master's, do your PhD, and then we could talk. That's encouraging. Yeah. 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 I mean, this was, this was 2013, 14. So a decade ago, the learning path for somebody that wants to get into AI now is probably a lot more defined, particularly with the global need for it right now. But, but that's another side. We could put that aside for now. So I said, you know what? I I'm nearing the end of my degree. I don't really want to do that. What else do you recommend? And one of my mentors there said, well, go into security. Like it was the most obvious thing in the world. Now, at this point, I have never had a single thought about security or hacking or computation aside from logic. So I said, security, what, is, what does that have to do with AI? And they said, well, in both cases, you're reasoning about agents that are probably smarter than you, that have goals that are intractable and uh, that are very motivated. And so if you go into security and then later want to go into AI, you will have a good basis for understanding how to think. So that sounded cool. And then I looked into what security was and saw that pen testing was a thing. And oh, I get to attack other computers. That sounds really neat. Particularly, I looked at, at I think, uh, web hacking at first. So started to do some, some labs online and found Offsec, uh, enrolled in the OSTP. And it took me... Whew, it took me a long time, six months of dedicated full-time work. I was, I was finished my degree and I said, you know what, I'm going to take a year and this is what I'm going to do. This was my nine to five. And it really took a lot of time and effort because I didn't have those prerequisites. I had one computer science course in, in Java programming, which uh, I didn't do that right on. And yeah, it was, it was quite a struggle, especially back then. Content of the course was, was significantly smaller. I think less than half the size that it is today. It was two updates ago. And so all the Linux, all the networking, all the programming, I had to kind of learn on my own as I was trying to do this hacking stuff. There wasn't a huge community at the time, so it really was just me. But I was very, 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 very lucky. Still to this day, I attribute all of this to luck uh, because I happened to pass my exam a week before a uh, deadline for an application that Offsec was making for the student mentor position. At the time, we called it student admins. At the time, Offsec is, I don't know, somewhere between 10 and 20 people. And the only place where they advertise this job posting is on their internal forum that's only accessible to uh, people who have passed the exam. So I passed the exam, get access to this forum. Forum says, hey, we're closing this in a week. I sent in my application, which consisted of uh, philosophy student and offsec student, and I don't know anything else, but please hire me because you know you you taught me everything that I know so I can then help your students uh, do the same. For a reason I still don't know today, uh, they bought that. And so here I am seven years later. Yeah, but I love that. I mean, you, it, it took you six months, right? From like sort of zero to OSCP, right? Six, six months, yeah. yeah that, 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 that's amazing because I've heard you say previously, and you kind of like mentioned it now, you didn't have a background in like computers and networking was, was new to you. Linux was new to you. Is that right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you had to learn all the basics plus how to hack all of it. And you were able to do that, but it was full-time, right? Six months from full zero time, to Full-time, and probably an average of like 12 hours a day on the weekdays, maybe a little bit less on the weekends. Um, but yeah, that was my, my, I considered it my full-time job. That was what I was going to do. I paid for my own pocket. That was that was my life for, for that time. But I think it's really inspirational. So you, a lot of people watching this will probably have more experience than you did when you started. 
um, they've got like basic networking yeah. or basic coding or some basic skills. Mm -hmm. And you had very little of that. And then you, in six months, like just going for it, you were able to do it. That, that's fantastic. I think um, one huge benefit of my previous experience was, I think, like the philosophy thing, like learning how to think and yeah. to think about what I'm thinking about, to like self-reflect and, and see that, that really, really helps. And in fact, as a student admin, and even today as a content developer, content development manager, that's something I emphasize to whoever is going to listen. Not that anybody ever listens to me, but um, being able to understand like, okay, what algorithm is my brain going through as I'm looking at this box? How can I change that? How can I notice it faster? That kind of thing. Really, really, really key. The second thing that was key is, was just coming in with an open mind. And one of the things that I think a lot of people struggle with is they come in with this background and go, okay, I know all this programming yeah. or all this networking stuff. And they encounter something that they don't expect. And that just kind of like crashes their worldview. I didn't have a worldview. I just didn't know what to expect. So I would try something and I'd get in and I'd be like, oh, that's cool. Whereas somebody would be like, how's that even possible? For me, it just felt like that was just how the world was supposed to work. And so I, I would encourage everybody who, first of all, if you have if you have sort of this beginner's mindset, embrace that. That's You're not going to have it forever. And it's really, really helpful while you have it. But if you don't, try to foster it. Try to come in. There's this uh, Zen expression, empty your cup. Try to go in with a with a empty mind and try to embrace what you learn without judging it. Easier said than done, but I think that that has been very useful advice for me and for uh, those that I've helped teach along the years. What I love about what you said there is when you're struggling, you you need to step back. And I think I've heard you say mm -hmm. this elsewhere. You need, you know, step back. Don't try the same thing because often we like so used to doing something a certain way, especially if you've been in perhaps in tech for a long time. And like what you mm -hmm. did there, you didn't have you know pre preconceived ideas of what it, what it should do. You just approached it like, okay, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this. And uh, that whole thing, I love that you start with like, just follow me. But then you like, as I said, it gets better. Well, I said worse and worse. You said it gets better and better. We just like now you just got to try things yourself. Yeah. So, so this is kind of uh, kind of funny. Uh, you don't know this, but I actually just wrote my own. OSWA, our Web 200 exam. Uh, I haven't gotten the results yet. I just, just did it uh, uh, literally a few minutes before this interview. Oh, wow. And um, yeah, <laughs> during that exam, uh, there was uh, one machine and I was trying the same thing over and over again in different ways. It seemed like the most obvious endpoint. And I was just, as they say, bashing my head against the wall. As you're saying, I at some point I said, you know what, maybe what I'm trying isn't what I'm supposed to be trying. So yeah. I took a step back and the epiphany was just so obvious when I had it that it was like, oh, I have to do this other thing. Why did, why did I spend two hours not thinking about what I was doing um, and just sort of auto auto scrolling? Um, so yeah, very, very important. The, I think the faster and the more frequently somebody can notice what they're doing and why they're doing it, the more impactful they will be uh, in an engagement. I want to take the exam, right? That's my goal. Yeah. That's, that's what I want to do. Is the course enough or do I need to... I've seen other people, perhaps people who've taken you know, the, the course in the past, so things have changed now. They say you have to go and do like hack the box or try hack me, or you have to do a whole bunch of other stuff before you even attempt yeah. the exam. Is, is that still true or can I just take the course and go for the, go to the exam? Yeah, so, so two things there. The first is I and we would never discourage learning anywhere else. Like over the course of your life, you're gonna learn from millions of different sources. I'm never going to say OFSEC is the only source and all the source of truth comes from here. That's that's not at all what I would say. What I would say, though, is that especially the new version of the course does prepare you sufficiently for the exam. Um, I started to tell you about the different learning modal modalities. We talked about text and video and then uh, exercises, application exercises, capstone exercises. So 
after you've done all these different capstone exercises, theoretically, you've finished every module. And then there are one, two, three more of these learning modalities that, that we call. The first is a module called Assembling the Pieces. And it takes you through our own thought process in a pen test. Limited pen test, five machines. We say, okay, here's here's what we would do. Here's the commands we would use. Oh, we made a mistake. Here's what we would do instead. And it walks you through our entire process throughout those five machines. And then you can follow along. You can go and start those machines, either copy us, do it on your own, uh, do it before even looking at what we did. And it's sort of an introduction to the lab. It gives you a little bit of an understanding of what to expect. Then at the end of that module, there is a report, a report that we would write. In fact, it uses the same uh, language and template that we would use for our own clients. And you can read exactly how we would talk about what we've done. So you can read the module and read the report and then follow along. And then after that, we have what we call challenge labs. This is very different than the previous lab environment. The previous lab environment had, I think, 55 to 70, I don't remember the exact number, uh, machines, they were just sort of all in one network, not a flat network. There were multiple um, subnetworks in there, but all accessible at once. They were also accessible by multiple students at once. A bunch of different students can come in and, and work on the same machines. The new system we have is different. Every student has their own environment. So if I start, let's say, challenge one, I will get 10 machines. And if you start challenge one, you will get the same 10 machines, but completely segregated. So uh, we can't interact, That's um, which means that you won't step on my toes, I won't step on yours. The challenge labs apply the techniques that are taught throughout the course, but we talked about uncertainty. Now you're at your most uncertain. You have no idea what vulnerabilities are present. You don't even know if every machine is vulnerable. Some of the machines aren't, uh, which is another departure. We, we realize that this is a lab, so we don't want to put like a thousand machines that are invulnerable, but we do want to give students the experience of, okay, how do I know when it's enough? I've, I've, been, I've been trying everything I can think of against this machine. Maybe I should just stop. That's, that's a really important realization too. But anyway, so we have this, these challenge labs. 10 machines is the first one. You're going through and you're trying to apply these different techniques. Then you get to the second one. Okay, second one is, I think, 15 machines. Uncertainty increases. You you don't, like, now there's more of an attack service. Uh, the complexity of the attacks are going to be a little bit harder. Third challenge lab is 20 machines. This one is extremely hard. There's multiple VLANs, all sorts of different technologies, different kinds of attacks. And so if you go through these first three challenge labs, that's uh, 10, 15, 20, uh, basic math says that's 35 machines. Did I get the math right? No, I didn't. 45 machines. Yeah. Um, That's okay. <laughs> you, you, you have a very good basis for just doing a pen test. You've been in these, these big networks of, of multiple machines. Then you have the second kind of challenge lab. The second kind of challenge lab is why I'm so confident in saying that the course prepares you for the exam. Because the second kind of challenge lab are exam machines. They're machines that we have developed specifically for the OSCP, and we have configured them in such a way that uh, you start Challenge Lab 4, you get access to six machines, just like you would on the exam. And those six machines were, in fact, developed for the exam. We just stole them from the exam environment uh, and instead put them in here. Um, so if you can do those, Challenges 4, 5, and 6, then you're ready for the exam because those are... <laughs> Those are exam machines. Let's say, we haven't heard this yet because not enough people have taken it yet, but let's say someone were to say, oh, I took the exam and they were nothing alike. At that point, I would say that, you know, it, whenever you um, encounter something that you don't know how to do, it always feels like it was something that wasn't taught because by definition, you weren't able to do it. But I would say that those specific environments, those uh, three OSCP challenges, 
they are very, 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 very similar to the kind of machines you'll find on the exam itself. So I, I believe uh, you've said it's it's not retired exams. It's like new machines that were going to be in an yeah. exam and you stole them, right? Yeah. So some of them, I think there are a few that are retired, but most of them we had originally developed for the exam itself and we were going to put them in, but then we decided, hey, instead of doing that, let's do this instead. I love that. So, in, so from the beginning, I've got the 100 course that gives me lots of basics. Then I take this course, you start me slowly uh, reading videos, some basic labs, and it becomes more and more difficult. And then right at the end, I've got like these, is it six different uh, labs, right? Um, that I have to attack. And then three of those are actually as if I'm taking the exam. You can, if you want, you can set a, a timer, say, hey, I'm going to time myself and I'm going to try to get, maybe I'm not going to do a 24 hour timer. That's a bit intense, but I'll, I'll set 12 hours and I'll try to get half of the machines in 12 hours type of thing. That's great. Because I mean, the you know what the problem is always when you, when you, you know what it's like when you're trying something new, how do I know I'm ready? Especially when the feedback loop in pen testing is so poor. Yeah, so talk um, about that because I've heard you've mentioned that before. Go on, sorry. If you are programming, programming is not the best example either, but it's the one in my head right now. So you're programming something. Hopefully you have an environment that is going to tell you when there are issues. So you make a syntax error and your, your debugger is going to say, hey, you're missing your semicolon. Hacking at its best, right? So if I'm if I'm attacking a very, very, very hardened and mature environment, I shouldn't expect to get a lot of feedback because the goal of the defenders is to prevent me from being able to continue my attack. It's like um, SQL injection is a vulnerability where, where you can inject attacker-defined uh, SQL queries into a database uh, via a web app. And if it's error-based, if I can see the results of my, my injections, then that's going to be a lot easier for me than if the defender took steps to uh, make that not happen. So I should expect as I get better and better that defenders are going to get better and better. And eventually I won't get feedback at all. I don't know if it's, I don't know what's working. I, don't, I have no visibility on the machine. One of the things that we try to do throughout the learning process is to kind of make that learning experience, make that feedback loop artificially easier for the student, especially in the earlier modules. But then towards the end, we want them to get this experience of, I don't know, I tried something and I have no idea if it worked or not. What do you do? A lot of that is just experience and trial and error and deciding that I might not have output, but maybe there are other things that I can look at. Maybe I can, I don't know, I can I can look at the, I'm still on web because my my head is, is completely filled with the web stuff. That's, so That's fine. Yeah, uh, you've I just done an exam. Yeah. I don't blame you. <laughs> I don't see anything in the browser, so I'll look at the proxy. And I don't see anything on the proxy, so maybe Wireshark told me something. Stuff like that, where you're trying to just look for source of information elsewhere than the obvious places where you were already looking. That's great. So I mean, sh short feedback loop in the beginning while I'm like, you're still holding my hand, but then you let me yeah. go. And then it's like, <laughs> I have to, I love what you said, you know, you, with your philosophy stuff is, you know, you have to step back and think about what you're doing. Okay, so I've seen a lot of people mention buffer overflows. Uh, that's something that you yeah. removed from the course. Could you give us like a quick overview? What's been removed? Why? What's been added? Why? Sure, sure. Uh, so first on buffer overflows, very close to my heart and Offsec's heart. A lot of our uh, senior content devs are primarily exploit developers. That's what they love to do. First, I'll say I think buffer overflows are a wonderful learning opportunity for any, not just pen testers, but anybody in technology who wants to understand how do things really work. You don't get lower level than this. A buffer overflow shows you precisely why code and data don't play very nicely together. But for the audience, a buffer overflow happens when you have a program that accepts some user input, but there's no limit into how much uh, input the user can, can put in. So if the program expects you know 60 characters, but I put 70 and the application doesn't know how to handle that, then maybe what I can do is take those extra 10 characters and make the computer do something that it doesn't expect. Buffer overflows 
as such, developing them, creating them yourself, isn't really part of what a modern penetration tester does. Because if they happen to find an application, a binary application that's vulnerable to memory corruption, it's much more likely that the attack involved is going to require significantly more effort than a vanilla buffer overflow. Buffer overflows are, I don't know, 30 years old at this point, and Microsoft, among others, have done really good jobs in creating mitigations against them. To find that in the wild today is going to require you to know how to bypass this and bypass that and just have a, a very particular skill set in that area. Today, junior pen testers are very unlikely to have to do that. And so instead of forcing people to learn this thing that they were unlikely to use in their jobs, we wanted to really gear uh, PWK towards what people would actually be doing, which is uh, web apps and privilege escalation and Active Directory and tunneling. Um, those are much more relevant. That all said, buffer overflows, like I said, very, very, very good learning opportunity. We had a ton of internal debate on whether to keep them, whether to move them, whether to keep them, but not have them on the exam, uh, whether to only have them on the exam. I don't know. We, we thought of every possible permutation we could. And so what we've decided to do is put them elsewhere in the offset library. We're not, we're not deleting them. They're not going anywhere but they're just not going to be in the course itself. That's great. I mean, you mentioned AD. So Active Directories, uh, I believe you've extended that quite a bit, right? Yeah. Okay. So you, you, you did ask me, uh, what did we take away? What did we add? So uh, still on the taking away part, um, there was a module on PowerShell Empire. Uh, we, again, moved that to the library, or we will move that to the library because it's just too redundant with what we have on Metasploit. Instead, we've made the Metasploit module a little bit more robust, part of what we consider the 100 level material that was added to Pen 100, I think, end of February. In terms of additions, so every module that you see on the, on the screen is really um, expanded from what it was before, and the solid lines represent really major changes. So you see most of them are solid. We have a lot of changes. We did kind of ironically add, or maybe not ironically, but paradoxically, add some, let's say, easier modules at the start on just what is cybersecurity in general, how do you learn effectively, and how do you write reports? And these are all sort of like softer skills, softer pieces of knowledge that we included because if we call them prerequisites, we expect they're not as sexy, not as fun, and people will skip them. So we include it in the course because we think they're super, super important for people to understand before they try to do all these kinds of attacks. Intro to cybersecurity, like what <laughs> pen testing is this like small space in a much, much, much bigger enterprise that is what we call the cybersecurity industry. What is it? What's where does it fit in? What's going on there? Why is it important? Effective learning strategies is a module that really teaches, okay, what what does OFSEC think our pedagogy is? What do we expect students to do? What is our advice for how to go through these modules and and labs, how do we expect you to learn? Um, why do we expect you to learn in the ways that we claim to? And it gives you very practical strategies, um, how to organize your time, how to organize your notes, uh, how to think about the exam, all these different tips and tricks that we've learned uh, and, and studied over the years. And then report writing is, is exactly what's written on the tin. How do you take all your wonderful findings that you've done on an engagement and communicate it to a audience? Communication is something that is difficult to teach in, in, a, in a technical context. And so by providing this and the, the report at the end of assembling the pieces, we're hoping that learners can find their own voice, take, take what we've provided as a template and say, oh, you know what? I, I don't like how they, how they talk in the plural, so I'm going to use I or whatever it is. We, we definitely aren't saying this is the only way. If you ask uh, 11 pen testers, how do you how do you write? Actually, the joke goes the other way. If you ask 10 pen testers how to uh, write a report, you'll get 11 different responses. So we're not trying to make like a religious doctrine on this is the way that you do it, but we want to give you an option. What else has been added? Uh, web applications has been expanded from one module to three. 
Active Directory has also been expanded from one module to three. Privilege Escalation from one to two. Port Redirection from one to two. Because in the privilege escalation is one area that people really struggle with. I think because this is just speculation on my part. My guess is when you start with a box from the outside, from an external perspective, there's not a lot that you're supposed to be able to do, right? So again, back to web applications, maybe you're able to write a comment in a blog, or you can use a contact us form to reach, reach the administrator or reach the organization, whatever it is. But there's not so much there. There's a very limited attack service. Once you have somehow bypass that and you've gotten a shell back on your machine that's actual, not just not just like an authentication bypass in the web app, but actually underlying shell on the system running the web app. Now you're a legitimate user. You can do anything that a user can do. And so your attack surface is suddenly enormous. It went from being relatively small to just this giant, giant, giant field of possibilities. And I think that sort of paralyzes a lot of people. They don't know where to start. So we divided it into one for each main operating system so that people get a more in-depth education on, okay, here are the different possibilities for Linux. Here are the different possibilities for Windows. Here's what you want to look for. Here's here's what you want to look for not existing, right? You want to you look for what is missing. And the approach is the same for the two OSs, but the specifics differ. So that's why we split it up. Is it fair to say that you've made a massive increase in content on the AD side? Yes. Yeah. There was only one AD module before, and I think it is uh, a third of the size of any of the three modules that are out there now. Um, so a ton more content. Um, we cover everything from uh, enumeration and information gathering to um, lateral movement and authentication bypasses. And what's really neat about these three modules is that they use the same uh, learning environment. So we start off with, with a few machines and the machines in the information gathering module are the same machines that is used in the authentication and lateral movement. You get really, really intimate and familiar with these machines, and then you can go apply that to the challenge labs after. That's great. I mean, I've, I've seen criticism in the past that um, the OSCP didn't have enough windows. So it's great to hear mm -hmm. that, um, or AD. So it's great to hear that that's been increased. Jeremy, you, in your notes, and you've used it in this interview, you use this big word. Can you explain that to us mere humans? What it, what it, what is that, and what does it mean, and you know why is it, why is it relevant to what we're talking about? So pedagogy is just a method of transmitting knowledge of of teaching and learning. My feeling, this is this is just my opinion. I don't think that as technical educators in the world, we aren't very specific with our our pedagogy, the way that we expect people to learn, and the way that we expect to be able to teach. We just sort of say, hey, here's some technical stuff that I learned, and let me write a blog post and transmit it to you, or let me make a video and transmit it to you. No, no bashing present company at all. But if you look at academia, they have spent hundreds of years figuring out how do you teach, right? How do you impart knowledge and skills to other humans, often younger humans, children? And how do you impart skills and knowledge to adults? Adult Learning as an adult is very different than learning as a child. And so that, that module that I spoke about earlier, effective learning strategies, is really how do you learn as an adult? We assume that most of our, most of our learners are over 18. So OFSEC became very interested in defining what we mean by pedagogy because if we aren't very clear about what we expect people to learn or how we expect people to learn, then how could we effectively teach? So we defined it in a five-step process uh, where a learner begins trying to do something. Maybe they succeed. If they succeed, great. Then they can skip the other five steps. Eventually, they're going to do something that they don't succeed at, and they're going to fail at that thing. 
that's maybe the most important part, that step of failing. Because if you succeeded on the first try, then you have nothing to learn about this thing that you just succeeded on, right? Yeah. If I if I say, okay, here's a web app, go ahead and hack it. And you're like, ah, it's, uh, it's cross-site scripting. And you type it in, you get the syntax right, you get the connection back, everything's working. Okay, maybe you reinforce something you already knew, but you didn't learn anything new. But if you try it and it doesn't work, and it turns out that there's some filtering on some special characters, and you've never seen that before. Okay, cool. You're going to fail and it's going to be frustrating and you're going to struggle with it. What do you do next? You have to learn how to adapt, right? You have to learn how to deal with that. And through that adaptation, you're going to grow both as a learner in general, you're going to be better at learning, better at this process. Like this, the, the speed of going from trying to fail into adapting is going to increase over time. You're just going to become better at it. And you're going to learn the specific skill that you need to learn in this particular circumstance, then you're going to succeed, right? And so this sort of cycle of five steps is going to keep you not just learning cool technical stuff, but it will increase your ability to follow the cycle over time. So that's really what we mean by the, by the fancy word. Um, it's just being very intentional when we create a module or a lab machine, we are expecting learners to fall somewhere in these five steps. We're not trying to get everybody to fail everything all the time, but we do want to create increasingly difficult challenges so that at some point you're going to, you're going to hit the failure point um, because if you don't, then we haven't done our jobs. We haven't, we haven't been able to actually educate you. We, we need you or you need yourself to encounter situations that you don't know how to handle. So Jeremy, the, the whole idea to do the course is to obviously take the exam and pass it. So let's talk a little bit about the exam. Is it an open book exam or is it like, like uh, can I get access to Google? You know, can I get access to software? What, what can, I, can I and can't I do in general terms? I know on your website, you've got more details, but like perhaps you can give us some like, advice about the exam because you know it's this new thing people are scared perhaps of what they can and can't do uh, let me actually just just correct a small misconception you mentioned that the purpose of the course is to is to pass the exam and i think for many learners that is true but for us that's not what the course is for the course is for learning to become a penetration tester that's and we've good... always approached it yeah. as learning first certification later we recognize and understand that many learners do want the certification they they take the course to get the certification but you'd be surprised not everybody uh, in fact, we have a, a large, large cohort of students that have no interest in the cert. They just want to, they just want to learn. They want a lab to, to reinforce their learnings. And so when we try to design the course material and the exam, we don't do it from an exam first. We don't teach to the exam with the exception of these three uh, exam-like environments in the course. Uh, that's a relatively new addition, but that's not where we start from. We start from what does a penetration tester actually have to do? I love that. So, I mean, it's not, it's not like a lot of these courses that it's just like, here's the content, get through the exam and you're done. But for many, many listeners and uh, many students, the exam is very important. That is why they're doing the course, and that's fine. The rules are, like you said, uh, outlined on the on the website. But the the sort of general reasoning behind the rules is we want to know that you understand what you're talking about, right? So one of the rules is against automation, right? ChatGPT, that not allowed, right? Yeah, yeah, Chat. Okay, yeah, ChatGPT. I mean, we could start there. ChatGPT can help you tremendously on a pen test. And I think that as pen testers and security people in general continue using this technology, they're going to find ways in which it, it speeds up their efficiency by orders of magnitude, but you can't use it on the exam. And it's not because we don't recognize it's going to be maybe useful. It will be useful. It'll be too useful. Yeah. Uh, it'll make things way too easy for yeah. the current exam that we have. We'd have probably have to make the exam harder to, to compensate for it. The reason why it makes it easier is because it helps it helps you abstract away from what you actually need to know. The example I like to use is in a high school algebra class, 
you are taught how to use the scientific calculator, but you're not allowed it on the test, right? You, you go to the test, you go, at least when I was a student, I don't know how it is today. Do you go to the test? You're supposed to do everything from, from the paper, pencil on paper, the skills that you've learned, no calculator. And people always say to the teacher, but teacher, I'll be uh, in the real world, you know, in the real world, I'm going to be able to use my calculator. And the teacher will say, well, in the real world, you probably won't be asked to calculate the speed of a train traveling when John is in it, right? Like these kind of manufactured questions aren't real in the same sense. Our exam environment is as realistic as it possibly can be, but it's still an exam. It has an arbitrary amount of time. It has, uh, you know, every machine is vulnerable and you know that beforehand. There are many, many aspects about it that are still exam-like. And so for it to be an exam, for it to be a test of your competence, um, we have to have certain restrictions that show not just us as the grader, but also your future employer that, hey, you can do what it is that we are certifying that you can do. Yeah, like Metasploits, there's limitations, right? Yes. Metasploit is another thing where it's like, sure, you could theoretically use it on every machine everywhere, but will you really understand what's going on under the hood if you do that? We do want you to have some experience with it. We think it's a very valuable tool. So it's allowed on one machine, uh, but for the exam, only one. Jeremy, another thing that you guys updated, I believe, is the um, rather than like Windows XP or perhaps an older version of Windows, and I just use that as an example. That's a problem with a lot of content, you know, it might be a bit older. I believe you, the, the, the computers have been updated to Windows 11 uh, server yeah. 2022, stuff like that, right? Yeah. So the, the machines are, are mostly mostly Windows 11, 10, not very much before 10. There are some machines that are older. I think um, a lot of people will look at, look at a lab and go, ah, this is old technology. This uses PHP 5. Therefore, I shouldn't learn it. Give me the new stuff. But what they don't necessarily realize is that in the real world, everybody's using old stuff. Enterprises don't update very quickly, especially big ones. Uh, governments, banks, hospitals, any of these really big organizations, they don't they don't keep up to date. They can't because they don't have the, the people power to uh, do updates on and patches and everything. So they keep the old software and they remain vulnerable to things that have been um, patched. So we do try to keep a mix of both. There are some older machines in the lab still, but in very specific uh, locations. There's a few Easter eggs of older machines, but for the most part, yeah, it's up to date because that is what, that is what people want and we recognize that. Um, but I'll take the opportunity to say there's there really is a lot of um, benefit and value to be had in knowing how these older systems work. Taking it back to our, our earlier conversation about sort of object level learning and meta level learning, the object level doesn't matter. Like you can learn you can learn how to hack on uh, only Windows Seven, and if you do enough machines, when you encounter Windows Ten, you'll know what to do. Like you have the algorithm in your head. I love that. I mean, it's also you know the difference between like real world versus YouTube. It's, it's, that, that comment that you made about like people want the latest and greatest on YouTube. A lot of I get a lot of pushback if I show anything old, but it's like you said, yeah. you know, old stuff's out there. And it's the majority. Like it's not. It's not just. It's not just here. Like hiding away in caves. It's you know, <laughs> Offsec has had engagements where the whole enterprise is. So Jeremy, the, what about the, you know, the course changed, right? But with the exam, you know, there's, there's a, it seems like there's a bit of a disconnect, like exam changed about a year ago, course is now updated, um, content has been removed. Like what happens now if I want to take my exam next month? You know, I'm a bit in limbo. Is that right? No, it's not right that you're in limbo. You're, you're perfectly safe. You're fine. Uh, you're going to be golden. So the exam itself hasn't changed with this update. And we try not to change a course in the exam at the same time because we don't want people to have to have the new material in order to do the exam. So our, if you have access to the new material or the old material, you're going to have the same kind of exam as, as anybody else, right? So the next six months at least, uh, you will have the same exam as has been uh, in our environment for the last, I don't know, six months or so. 
Um, we do change the exam machines very often. We cycle them, but it's the same general set of, of possible attack vectors, particularly the attack vectors that are taught at the course. So nothing new from the new material will make its way into the exam until at least six months after um, the release date, which was, I think, March 15th. But after six months, I think one of the <laughs> one of the beliefs that we've unfortunately propagated is that like in six months, the exam is changing. Oh no, uh, everything's going to change. No, 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 no. There's no specific date or time where like we're just going to pull the curtain and it'll be a suddenly different exam. We're just going to very slowly start introducing maybe a vector here, maybe one there, maybe an enumeration technique, very, very small, so that over time it reflects the current material. Because um, we, we don't want to be frozen in time, but we also don't want to give students this sudden like jarring experience of a new exam. So it's going to be a um, continuous slow process. But if I take the exam, let's say I bought the new course and I take mm -hmm. the, the exam uh, three months from today, uh, yep. well, I won't be tested on buffer overflows, will I? Correct, correct. So we have removed buffer overflows from the exam. Uh, nobody who's taking the exam today or in the future at all is going to have buffer overflows. So in other words, if I bought the older course or I bought the newer course, I'm good. I can take the yep. exam, right? Exactly. Great. And it, it, it's a phased approach six months from the from the launch of the course where the exam will change gradually. It's like you said, it's not like some big bang, right? Right. And there's no, like, it's not like on six months to the day, suddenly we're going to change everything. It's just as we do our regular updates, we'll start shifting the machines a little bit. But I mean, if someone's interested in just learning, they, they get access to the buffer overflow content anyway, right? Depends on what they purchase. Uh, if you purchase our um, Learn Unlimited uh, subscription, then you get access to everything in our library. Um, and I believe that might be the only way to get access to those particular modules. Um, the 100 level material, the 100 level modules are included in our Learn One uh, subscription. So if you if you purchase Learn One, you select a specific 200 or 300 level course. So in our case, let's say Pen 200, you also get access to the 100 level material, not only for Pen 100, but all of it, uh, SOC 100, uh, Web 100, Cloud 100, whatever it is. And you get access to our wireless pen testing course, Pen 210, and a KLCP, our Pen 103, uh, which is a certification uh, specifically to Kali Linux. What happens if I just want to take the exam? Is it the same cost? Do I have to buy the course and the exam together? Is it like this, like learn one bundle or can I just go and pay a price for the exam? You can't just purchase the exam outright, but you don't have to buy learn one either. You can get just that the 90 day version of the course uh, that's cheaper than learn one. You only get one exam attempt instead of two. Uh, you don't get access to all this other extra stuff like the, the 100 level material or, um, or, or pen 210 and you only have 90 days. So for students or learners who think like, okay, I'm probably ready enough for the exam and I will be ready within 90 days, then that's definitely an option you can consider. What's really nice for me, like I've heard a lot of negative stuff on the, in, the, in the community over, you know, over, the, over, the, over time. What's really nice is what you're telling me today and sort of the stuff that I'm hearing from you is very different to what I've heard from a lot of people who have criticized. Like the um, try harder thing, it's, you said it ha you haven't used that for seven years. The whole like sort of methodology of teaching is different to mm -hmm. like, here's just a machine now, it's, you know, you need to discover how to break it yourself. You're actually teaching me how to do this. Yeah. And I, I think um, one reason why people might be frustrated with the way that we interact and, and try to impart this, this stuff is we ask a lot of questions. <laughs> it, can be, it can be a little bit annoying as a, as a student for sure. Uh, I know because I was on that side of things. Uh, myself, we use a very Socratic approach where someone will approach us and say, okay, I'm stuck on this thing. What do I do next? And we'll say, well, what do you think you should do next? Because we're really trying to get the student to think about their own thoughts. I don't think it was very explicit in, in doing that before in the past, but now we try very hard to make learners understand that it's not just a, a list of techniques. You're not just saying, okay, I know how to do SQLI. I know how to do 
uh, Active Directory enumeration. I know how to do privilege escalation. It's it's a whole methodology and way of thinking. And we would love to be able to just tell you how to do that, but we can't. It's just not possible. We can't just say words that magically make you good at this stuff. You have to actually try. And that struggle is hard and it's frustrating. It's not so. It's not just that it's like necessary. It's There's actually research in, um, I believe, in math education and in chemistry that the best practitioners are those who not only come to struggle, but come to embrace this struggle, right? So they're, they're learning something new, they're doing some new math proof, and they're running up against the wall and they have nobody to turn to. There's nobody on the internet who can help them because they're creating a new proof. The people, the mathematicians that succeed are those who like love that feeling. That's what we're trying to get learners to embrace is just seeking out these moments of, man, I don't know, and I have no idea what to do. And it sucks and it's frustrating and it's scary, but I love it. I think I think it's like you've hit it on the head where you said earlier you, you're not you're not here to try and pass an exam you're here to try and be a you're here to become a pen tester. It's not right. just passing the exam. And when you're, you know, it's like anyone who's out in the field in any discipline. At some point you're alone. At some point you've got to just make it happen. You've got to fight it. And I always like the analogy. I mean, it's a very basic analogy, but I always like to say it is show you videos on how to ride a bicycle. I can give you books, but until you've ridden that bike and you fall off a hundred times, well, I shouldn't. Say, oh, well, like a few times, should I say? Hopefully not a hundred times. <laughs> Jeremy, I really want to thank you for sharing. Thank you for, you know, taking away a bit of the fear perhaps that people have of the the exam and, you know, this career. And it's really good to hear that, you know, I don't have to go and do a whole bunch of other stuff. I can if I want to, and it can help me. But things have changed where I have a path, if you like. So if, if OSCP is my goal, and I think for a lot of people, the whole reason to do that is to get the cert so that it can open doors because the cert is so valuable in the industry. Um, you've given us a path, not just to get the cert, but to, you, you know, that thing where some people can pass exams, but they can't do the job, but you making sure that when we pass the exam and we've got the cert, I can actually do the job when I, when I get there. That's our hope. And um, thank you so much, David, for, for having me here. This was really a pleasure. Do you have any like closing words? You know, you, you, I've, I've heard you, you talk about it before you, you know, you, you studied um, philosophy. So let's, let's, Let's let's tap into that a bit, you know, a bit of philosophy sure. for, to wrap it up. You know, what's your encouragement, final words? Let me try to end off with two, two thoughts here. On a, first, on a personal note, when you look at yourself and you look at, hey, what's my skill set? Where am I? Can I get into this field? Is it too hard? Maybe I shouldn't do it. Recognize that everybody, everybody has those thoughts. Everybody from the best practitioners in the field to people just starting out. Imposter syndrome, as they call it, is just an epidemic because we're always trying to do these things that we don't know how to do. That's what security is about. So it's going to be disproportionately represented in this industry compared to something that is a little bit more structured and defined. So you're in the same boat as everybody else who has been here and who will be here uh, forever. And that leads to the second point, which is community. There is a lot of toxicity and maybe maybe better to say perceived toxicity, but that's only because there's so much passion in this industry that people who do it really love being in this field. And because of that, there's tons of emotions and rhetoric and things flying across the board about, about what's good, what's bad, what should we do, what shouldn't we do. But at the end of the day, recognize that in being part of InfoSec and being part of this community, there are tons of people just like you who want to learn what it is that you're learning. And that's, that's really empowering. There are so many communities, Discord, Twitter, social media, who, who will help you. We have our own uh, social media presence. And we're, I like to think that we really embrace new people coming in and asking questions and being part of something bigger. So all this to say is you're not alone. 
there's both in your learning experience and in your professional experience, there are millions uh, like you out in the world in different areas of this field. And don't feel like you're you're a one man or one woman or one person show. Jeremy, again, thanks so much. Oh, thank you so much, David. I'm David Bond. I wish you all the very best.